You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Welcome back. Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Randy Janda. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. As a reminder, we're doing what we learned an hour early today at 7.30. That's just an hour away. So get your what we learns in. Hashtag WWL, what you learned in the last 24 hours in sports. And we will read them at 7.30. And yes, that also means we will play the intro song at 7.30. So you have been warned. Uh, Before we get there... It is, you know, shout out again to JT Miller yesterday for giving us just a gift of content with the uh, uh, with the podcast interview he did on the Cam and Strick podcast. Thank you so much, JT. He You're might listening. not like us, but we like him. I don't know. I think, I think he's okay with me. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, I'm quite confident he does not know who I am, so I'm, fine. I'm very, very much fine with that. Um, but it is the, uh, it's a dry season, let's put it that way, for NHL news and Canucks news in particular. I did want to play uh, uh, just something that uh, our, our guy Satyar Shah passed along on the People Show with Bick yesterday. And it's not a big breaking news update about the Pedersen extension uh, or Pedersen negotiations on an extension between him and the Canucks. But I did think it brought up a couple of interesting points about what to watch for and the timing potentially on this and where this could be going. And uh, here's Sat on the Patterson negotiations. I can't sit here and say with certainty uh, where the Canucks are at in terms of their negotiations with Elias Patterson. It has been quiet, like it has been reported. My sense, however, would be that we saw a contract come in, and that was the Sebastian Ajo contract. Mm-hmm. And as much as Patterson had a better year than Sebastian Ajo this past year, their overall point-per-game numbers are similar. Ajo got, what, $9.5 million? And and also one guy uh, nine point seven five and one guy's having more playoff success. Yes. Now you can easily make the case that Pedersen had bigger platform yep. year, deserves more money, and all that yep. stuff, right? But I would imagine, especially with these camps waiting for precedence to get set and watching some of these contracts come in, that the Aho one is probably where Vancouver's kind of looking at right now. Be like, hey, if we're gonna look at what's happening in the market, comparable players nine point seven five, that kind of looks like the range we're in. I don't think Pedersen's willing to do that, right? He obviously wants ten plus million, so. Right now, it's quiet, but do we see the Canucks up that offer next month? Because if you look at what happened with JT, and even with Bo to some extent, like they also made a better offer to Bo, and as soon as they realized Bo wasn't playing ball with them, they completely pivoted and decided to give JT a bit more, and, and they got the deal done with JT. That's, so that's my kind of take here. Like it's It's been quiet with the Canucks. I don't expect anything to happen with Pedersen. I don't expect any any big trades to happen this month, but do we see them up their offer a little bit? Because if we're talking about Aho money, I don't see Pedersen signing that. Mm-hmm. And again, that's $78 million over eight years, uh, 9.75. And the timeline of when JT signed his deal, early September. 
So that's Sat and Bick uh, at the end there. And, you know, again, the Ajo comparison is interesting. We talked about that when he signed that deal. But I thought the point about the timing, and when you look at when Miller got done, and it was, you know, late summer, still a couple of weeks out of training camp. There had been, as Sat says, you know, a kind of position they'd taken, and then they change it, right? They say, okay, you know what? Let's make a push to get this done. Let's up our offer. And I think the thing with the Ajo deal is, and look, I think Pedersen is, is going to sign for more than what Sebastian Ajo got. But at least it gives you a baseline and a framework, and then you start building the case from there. You can say, okay, look, we know you're going to get more than him. How much more? Is it a million more? Is it a million and a half more? And you can kind of work from there a little bit. So I think Yahoo deal, even if Pedersen gets more, is an important framework. And it's the kind of thing where if the Canucks are really, really serious, if they put a high priority on getting this done before training camp, I think they can use that comparable as a springboard to kind of make a a really competitive legit offer in the next three four weeks here yeah you're able to zoom in a bit right there might have been really no I guess you know real focal point if you want to say that so Mm -hmm. it is setting a precedent to say okay at least this is the area code we're dealing with in the past maybe you didn't have that or maybe the the range was too large now in terms of timing the JT Miller deal, I remember being on air with Bick at that point. It came mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Yep. Nobody was reporting nope. anything. It was a, a Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford special, really. And very much so, you know, you'd expect the same thing here because, as we know, the organization doesn't talk very much uh, with this new regime. Nope. It, word does not get out. And from what I understand from agents as well, um, they don't like putting the word out there either because the regime does not like the fact that sometimes the word gets out there, right? So this is this is very much to the Jim Rutherford school of thought of going back to his days in Pittsburgh. So that's why you don't hear stuff coming out. Now, in terms of getting the deal done before the season, makes all the sense in the world for the Canucks. You don't want to get into a situation where you're having to negotiate in season. It's possible, but what do we hear from players? Don't really want to think about that right now. Yeah. And... The other thing is, from a value perspective, you probably want to lock in your prime, your, yep. your star player right now before maybe he launches off and has another great season. What if, if he goes, goes for 100 points again, goes for 110 points again, right? What kind of position does that put him in? And one of the, the lines of thought from the Canucks, and it's absolutely true, has been, look, this isn't a – we're not up against a deadline here, right? Because they have this season with Pedersen under contract – then he's an RFA the following year, right? So it's not as if it's he's going into uh, unrestricted free agency here. They have technically a couple of years left still with Pedersen under team control. That's absolutely right. But as you said, Randeep, if Pedersen's stance is, and we don't know this, but this is something a lot of players do. Sure. If his stance is, I don't want to negotiate during the season, well, all of a sudden, if you don't get an extension done before training camp, before the season – you're cutting that time in half, right? Then you are starting to look ahead to, okay, he's going to be an RFA, and we've seen how RFAs in the NHL now are capable of essentially picking their spot where they want to end up. RFAs of, of you know an elite caliber like Elias Pettersson. So I do think that creates, like, yes, you still have technically two years, but if you don't get it done before training camp here, it's going to start to feel like one year in a hurry, right? It's going to start to feel – you're almost cutting that time in half right away. And nobody's saying that Elias Pettersson's going to pull a Matthew Kachuk. No, no, but, no, 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 no. But it does open that door potentially depending on how the season it just goes. Cre- it creates more uncertainty. For that's, sure it does. Of course it does. And right? it creates more noise. And something an organization has had a lot of the last couple of years, you probably want to limit that and just say, hey, look, mm-hmm. you're our guy. 
let's do this. But it takes two parties to have that conversation. And if you're Elias Pettersson and his representation saying, no, we got another great year in us. Yeah. Why, you know, why sign a deal now when you can do it maybe halfway through the season, maybe the end of next year where we have faith in our guy. He can put up 100 points. He can be a, a better two-way player. Uh, we feel he can grow. And if you look at the client list of J.P. Barry and Pat Person, I urge you to do because, man, the commissions, these, the commissions these guys are making. It's pretty good. Man, I wish I had that bank account. But if you start looking at it, you know, the Anze Kopitars of the world, uh, David Pasternak, mm-hmm. Pierre-Luc Dubois, right? Another player, uh, Dylan Larkin. That These are guys that, sure, there's some value out there. Some guys have taken discounts. Uh, Jack Hughes is m- m- uh, the most notable one from the Pat Brisson, you know, stable, so to speak, where you can commit long-term, you give your team value, but staying in that market is important. Winning a Stanley Cup with that team is important, and you build around a player like Jack Hughes. There's that example, and then there's other guys that also want to get theirs. It's entirely up to the player and how he feels in the situation. That's why, you know, if you're the Canucks, you're most definitely pushing to get this deal done in September, before the season starts. But this is a a player, a league that's getting a little bit more player leverage yep. every single year. And I think it's I think we have to be honest too. It's an important year for the Canucks. Oh right? yeah. You have to you have to, you know, you've made some good moves, but if you're a player, you're probably want to think, all right, how do we do this year? What's the dynamic this year compared to last year? So there's a couple of things that are are up in the air right now that a player could be saying, hey, there's no rush. And I, I, and I do wonder, it's one thing to say, you know, the Canucks are going to make a big push to get it done before training camp, but that has limits, right? They're not. It's not going to be a blank check. It's not going to be, you know, a $15 million a year AAV here for Elias Pettersson. You're get, they're going to push, but they have to be smart still and, and, you know, rein it in at some point. So the question is, are they willing to go – are they willing to push pre-training camp to the, to a spot where it will convince Elias Pettersson to, you know, to put pen to paper? And I do wonder if that becomes, like, we always work on the assumption of a max term deal for star players like this, especially at this age. And I think certainly that would be the Canucks' preference, and that's how they get the most, you know, total money. Uh, shout out to Satyar Shah, Mr. Total Money. Um, but I do wonder, if you are really motivated as the Canucks, to get this done. Do you consider going short-term, going shorter-term, right? Backing off of a, hey, we want a seven- or eight-year deal stance, and are you willing to talk about a three-, four-, five-year deal with Elias Pettersson? And normally, look, I if I was the Canucks, I'd be pushing for eight years. I do think there could be some advantages to going a little bit shorter. Could you get the AAV down slightly, right? And the other thing is, as you say, you just avoid the problem. And you could look at it in a negative sense and say you're kicking the can down the road, and that's probably fair. But this is a team that, you know, we talked about this earlier in the week. Like, this is a team that's kind of built to win now with JT Miller and Andre Kuzmenko over the next few seasons and Thatcher Demko. So how much do you value getting Elias Pettersson locked up, let's say, to match Quinn Hughes's term? Four years left, right? Getting those guys on the same schedule, maybe Elias Pettersson, you get a slight discount on the AAV, and then at least you have the cost certainty, and you can look at this kind of four-year window where you're trying to get something done. Elias Pettersson get hits free agency at 29. I do wonder if there's kind of a compromise there that could end up working, and if the Canucks are really motivated to just check this box and get an extension done before training camp if that's an avenue they go down. That that one kind of worries me a little bit, though, right? Ideally, and 
It's not the ideal solution. No, no. Ideally, it it's the eight-year deal where mm-hmm. you're saying you're locking up your guy. Because yep. here's the thing, right? How many franchise centermen just really in the first round? Like, there's some really good talent. But outside of the top two or three, you can't guarantee No, it's guys. incredibly difficult yeah, to find a player. Top like two Elias or three Patterson. picks, maybe you can get yeah. that. But even that. So, yes, the priority would be the eight-year deal. Anything beyond that or anything outside of that to me is is a disaster if you don't get it, right? And I understand in an age of player leverage, um, that's the reality. Go ask Calgary. Go ask Winnipeg that, you know, what's going on, what happened with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Go ask other teams now what they're they're starting to see. But, you know, in a worst-case scenario, yeah, you go shorter term. But this is Canada, man. Because Once you sign that deal, you're going to hear the clock ticking. Oh, yeah. You're, there's going to be noise. And that's a very, very unsettling place to be playing well, in Canada and signing that deal. Especially if they did, for example, match it up with Quinn Hughes's contract, right? And they're expiring at the at the same time. Then you're feeling a ton of yes, pressure yeah. to to convince both of those guys to hit up on their next deals. Look, I'm not saying it's ideal, but it comes down to what does Elias Pettersson want, as you said, and what what how much do they prioritize getting him to sign a deal versus getting the ideal deal right getting the perfect deal which would be eight years and I I just wonder like if Elias Pettersson is dead set on a shorter term deal at a certain point you might have to play ball with that as much as you don't like it I don't know if that is happening this September though like if if that is the the play here if you're a player and saying hey a couple years down the road the cap's going to jump up and Mm -hmm. I don't want to tie myself into something that's going to limit my earning power or I want to see how this plays out in this market you can you can kick the can down the road halfway through the year or at the end of the year, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't know if you want to do that right now. I understand there's certain, you know, there's a certainty that comes with it to say you've locked them in for four years, but maybe you jump the gun. Yep. Maybe maybe the situation gets better. We're always looking at it negatively, <laughs> but how about if the situation gets better and you're in a position where you're saying, man, we signed this guy a four-year deal when we could have signed him to an, eight- got an eight-year deal. It's a tricky situation, and uh, as Sad said, we'll see if anything happens, if the Canucks make a push here pre-training camp. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, We're going to talk to Mike Morreale, Canadian Elite Basketball League Commissioner, coming up at 7. Before we get to that, a couple of other things uh, we wanted to touch on. Uh, the uh, the English Premier League season gets going tomorrow. Arsenal already has taken home the most important trophy in England in English soccer. Already, a everyone's ever, everyone always saying that that the Community Shield is is the number one trophy. Champions League, who cares? <laughs> um, how many Community Shields did Thierry Henry win? Uh, Arsenal has won seventeen in its history. So. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. It is. So some would say we're the most successful English club ever. No. Some would say that. Some would say that. Are you, where are you on Arsenal title chances? Because it does seem like, I mean, I know there's the one year that Liverpool got it done. They had an incredible team. But it has been Man City, just a clear tier above everyone other than Liverpool for a couple of years, for a long time now. Yeah, this is, in Man City, a couple of things. They got the deepest pockets. Mm-hmm. They've got the best manager. They've got depth across the board. I think from an Arsenal perspective, they are a better team. They've got more depth than they mm-hmm. had previously, right? This is something that when you look at the the signings that they end up picking up, uh, Declan Rice, I don't care how much they paid. He's a better player than they had previously. Yeah. Uh, there's no salary cap, so it doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, Jurian Timber is a, a quality defender they picked up from Ajax. He's going to give them depth. You've got other players that are now 
you know, Kai Havertz, a lot of money. I know in Chelsea fans are going to say he's he's no good. Um, I'm willing to give him a chance, especially when he came over from Leverkusen. He was a good player. Uh, but once again, for Arsenal, they have he's not going to be their main main piece. He's a, a really a depth option behind some of the players that they have playing in the midfield and up front. So from that perspective, they will make this very interesting for Man City. And this is a Man City team that in any given moment, they can change the game and sign somebody for 100 million pounds mm-hmm. like nothing. And it's not it's not even an issue for them. But they did lose some players. Riyad Mahrez, gone, right? Goes to Saudi Arabia. Pretty key player for them. Yep. When you talk about their unreal depth, he was a guy that would step up onto the pitch, score a couple of goals, and you know decide a game. He, he's got that match-winning quality. Um, I think Man City definitely still has the depth, but sometimes that turnover can... can it can take a couple of weeks coming into the season and you have to kind of get used to it. It doesn't happen right away. So is that an opportunity for teams like Arsenal? And I'm going to throw um, Liverpool in that discussion as well. They picked up Alexi, uh, Alexis Mack McAllister and a few others. Um, Manchester United is going to have, based on what they were able to do last uh, the second half of last year, they're going to think they can play for the title, right? <laughs> uh, whether that's true or not, we'll see. But I, I think early on in this season, we'll see. We'll see if Man City, there's a bit of a drop-off as they, they kind of try to develop their their new uh, squad, really. Yeah. But I, I think Arsenal is in a better position to compete this year with the, with so the depth. is Arsenal now... Because this, is, this always cracks me up with, uh, you know, we have so many United fans here at the station. And, you know, United... Oh, you're telling me. This incredibly proud tradition of winning and being dominant. Like They're, they're the Yankees, essentially, right? They, they are the, the big bad, the team that has been great for so long, yada, yada, yada. And then they've fallen on hard times here. And all of a sudden, these United fans are getting excited for, like, a fourth-place finish. And it's like, guys, have some self-respect. You're Manchester United. You know what I mean? Like, you, you don't see the Yankees celebrating, like, hey, we snuck into the playoffs and got eliminated. And all of a sudden, United's like, hey, all right, Champions League, we did it, guys. Like, it's this big achievement. What like are they are are they going to be consigned to doing that again, or do they have legit title aspirations? Okay, if you ask some people at the station, they'd probably say yes, they do. Okay, most of those guys uh, live in the afternoon, and then and then in four months they'll be like, hey, we're gonna we're hanging on to a Champions League spot. Good for us. But there is a bit of a turnaround though, right? Like with any sort of any sort of I think, especially in soccer, when you have a manager that is larger than life, that has been there for twenty odd years. Yep. Um, it's never easy to turn that around. And Arsenal had their own version of Wenger. Mm-hmm. But Sir Alex Ferguson was a larger-than-life personality that he was Manchester United. And the the turnaround to replace him has not been an easy one. No. So, overall, I think what we saw from them last year was a, a move in the right direction. They pick up Mason Mount. They pick up uh, a new keeper, in Andre Onana, who... Really, David De Gea was terrible the last couple of years. <laughs> and they have picked up their own, you know... For them, they hope a Danish superstar and Rasmus Hoagland uh, from At- Atalanta, which, you know, he's a good player. I don't know if he's Erling Holland good, but still, they're hoping for that. Um, but here's the thing. You have a lot of teams with deep pockets right now. And Arsenal's willing to spend. Man City's willing to spend. And the one we haven't talked about yet, Newcastle is starting to spend. Remember, they're backed by the Saudis. So until Manchester United ends up maybe being sold or, you know, are they really able to hit their, their ultimate ability, right? Right, right now they're, they're punching, like they're doing well. Yep. They're a very rich club, 
But I think most Manchester United fans are just waiting for the day that they're sold from the Glazer family who owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes. To somebody probably in the UK or or the Middle East. Yes. And that will take them to another stratosphere. Right. But right now, I, I think they're in the mix. They're definitely in the mix for a top four. I don't buy them as title contenders, though. Yeah, the, the Newcastle one is interesting, right? Because, I mean, we saw it with Chelsea once upon a time. We saw it with Manchester City, right, where you get that infusion of cash. And maybe it doesn't happen ne- the next season or the season after that. But eventually you break through and you become one of the elites of uh, uh, of English soccer. And they're, they're the next team that seems like that's uh, going to be on that list. Uh, is Harry Kane going to Bayern? What's the deal here? So Tottenham has ex- accepted a 100% pound 100 million pound offer from a uh Bayern Munich right now so Bayern Munich wants him Mm -hmm. Tottenham has accepted the deal now all that remains is does Harry Kane want to go to Bayern Munich does he want to go to Germany and if he says no if he says no one of two things he wants to go to an English club Mm -hmm. or he's the biggest loser we've ever seen (laughs) this man has no intention of ever winning a trophy because he ain't gonna win it at Tottenham Hotspur I can guarantee you that much and that's not my Arsenal showing. <laughs> that, come on bit. now. They no, haven't won right. anything, Jamie. <laughs> this is a fan base that gets proud of preseason trophies. And I'm not even talking Wait, about the... what? Com- not even talking... <laughs> you, you won the Community Shield. Community Shield is a legit trophy. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm talking about like preseason tournaments. <laughs> I see. I see. All right? But it is an interesting kind of dynamic because previously it was, will he go to Manchester United? Yeah. Is there maybe another club that could come from, uh, would it be a, a Chelsea type? That didn't pan out. Bayern Munich has, every year, they have a chance of winning the Champions League. Yep. He says no to that. And they have more than more Man. than a chance of winning uh, the Bundesliga, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, 10 straight at they, this point? They won last year, but it was so close that they still fired their manager. <laughs> They're like, this is too close to call you on. Get out of here. Now, that's a standard of excellence right there. When okay. you, That's what Manchester United That's what Harry Kane to. needs in his life. Higher <laughs> standards. Exactly. A standard of excellence. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. All right. Uh, I learned that you could get... Uh, you can get... Skytrain vending machine, machine sushi now. You oh, get no. sushi out of a vending machine at Skytrain stations as as of this past week. Uh, specifically two. So Coquitlam Center Sky, uh, Skytrain and the Lafarge Lake Douglas Station All right. now has, um, it's from the company Sushi Mori. Now, apparently this does get refilled every day, so the sushi is fresh. I just have to preface that. Uh, preface by saying that because uh, it, it's it's not maybe not as bad as it sounds, but it did raise my eyebrows when I read it. Yeah, I don't normally think of sushi coming out of a vending a machine. Vending machine. When I it's not the kind of thing I would normally want to risk. Probably it sounds no. pretty dangerous. No, but uh, sushi at a SkyTrain station on top of that. Yeah, like not a vending, like not only a vending machine at a SkyTrain. Skytrain yeah, yeah, so it's it's a strange mix. Uh, but the reviews thus far have been actually pretty positive. Uh, I mean, it's obviously not going to be anything like restaurant sushi. No. But considering it's popping out of a vending machine at a SkyTrain station, convenient. it's convenient and it could be worse. But yeah, I just wanted to point that out there. If you're feeling brave and you're at Coquitlam Center SkyTrain or uh, the Farge Douglas Lake SkyTrain, uh, give it a whirl. Let uh, us know what you think. I think that Coquitlam Center is uh, Bix station. I believe. Oh, is it? So we might have to task him with uh, 
for the content. Coquitlam Central Station, I should say. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, if, well, if Bick doesn't show up for work for a few weeks, we know why. <laughs> we might have to ask him. What level that. of hunger would you have to be at to get to hit up that uh, vending machine? Pretty extreme. Pretty extreme. Uh, although Benny from Comox says, I ate the sushi already. It was pretty good. So apparently it's all right. Is that why he moved to Comox? <laughs> he wanted to get away from the sushi? But there, the thing is, not only would you have to be starving, but for some reason all of the other options would have to be not to your liking. Like, there's got to be other options at these. Typically, there's a Tim's or something, at least, if not right in the station, at least yes. around the station. Or, I mean, I would probably just go for a chocolate bar to tide me over from the vending machine yeah. until I can get to a different location. It's not the the vending machine necessarily. Like, SkyTrain and food doesn't go well for me. Like, I, I don't really want to be consuming food on the SkyTrain. I'm, I'm just... No, I... It's not a place that I'd like to dine at. I guess if you, like, scarf it down while you're waiting for the train. Like, but then I, that has its own issues. When I went to SFU back in the day as a student, like, of course, it's a necessity. You're on yep. the run, whatever. But now it's just it's a little different. I'd, I'm willing to be late wherever I'm going to, <laughs> to get a meal <laughs> to in get a, so you're, an actual you're meal. Me, like, I don't telling, need it that bad, man. You're telling me that if SkyTrain opened up a restaurant in one of the trains, you could actually sit down at a table, find dining experience in a SkyTrain, <laughs> you wouldn't do that? you still say no? I, I might... No, Wait, like a it. dining train? Or yeah, I'm like... <laughs> exactly. SkyTrain adds a dining train to so every single SkyTrain. Like that, that... And it's like fine dining. You go and someone's playing the violin. Like Murder on the Orange of... Express? Exactly. That's what we're talking so about? Murder yeah. on the Orange Express minus the murder. That would so. actually be fantastic. I mean, I don't know if you can have like a fine dining meal in the 15 minutes it takes to, well, the idea... <laughs> to get to your location. Well, the thing is, is obviously you wouldn't get out of this. The doors would stay closed. You wouldn't get out of the stops. they dim the lights. You're stuck nice there. Movie. Exactly. Oh, you dim the lights on the SkyTrain? Come well, on, man. Yeah, That's a safety issue. It's its own train. Yeah, but, you know, and you're sitting at a table. This isn't the Rocky Mountaineer, right? Candlelight, <laughs> like, candlelight dinner. Come on, man. Use your imagination. This is an interesting, like, pop-up idea for uh, for TransLink, I think. Well, TransLink does, if TransLink you know does you steal just, this, they have to give me credit. Oh, I like the idea, but you know what it dis- uh, you kind of described here is the McDonald's train on <laughs> on on Boundary and, like, Loheaton. You know that one McDonald's that had that? Yeah. <laughs> that, like, one train car? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what you've described. That was a fine dining experience. Yep. Uh, Ray from Marple points out, guys, we're not talking sashimi. Sushi can have cooked stuff in it. So it's not as if it's raw fish. Correct. Just sitting there in the vending machine. Man, I don't care if it's a cucumber roll. I'm not eating out of a vending machine at Scott Road Skytrain Sky Station or I don't care which Skytrain Station it is. Well, they do. They say they refill it every morning and it has proper, uh, obviously, cooling and uh, refrigeration. It's, it's a very fancy looking vending machine. It is refrigerated properly. So it's not like you're just getting... Mm. Not not like the Snickers bar vending machine or like the one in our building that looks like it's from like the 1950s. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, we got this from Dalvir. Skytrain sushi sounds catchy, but also the absolute worst. Yeah. Although uh, Nelson Colonna says, sweet, I can take my family for sushi dinner at the Skytrain station. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a big night out yeah. for, for the family. Hey. It's not going to ca- it shouldn't cost too much against no, the cap, right? It's affordable. If you're, looking, if you're trying to stay under the cap, absolutely. It is affordable. What we just have to call Thomas Trant's erotica. Thomas Trant's erotica. Of course. Thomas Trant's erotica. Expected goals. Thomas Trans Erotica. Dog model. Thomas Trans Erotica. Oh boy. 
know if Shorty can ever be forgiven for that one, for putting that out in the world. What, are you kidding me? This is one of the greatest moments of my life. <laughs> you hear that this says more about you, Antoc. You hear this on radio so much, but being in studio when it's played, I just feel very dirty all of a sudden. Yeah, it's grimy. Grimy. Take a shower. Uh, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound. Real estate appraisers trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. And as you probably guessed from the music, our next guest uh, from The Athletic, my regular co-host on Canucks Talk, he is Thomas Drance. What's going on, buddy? Jamie, I've missed you, bud. Good to good to have a chance yes. to chat with you. I uh, it's apparently been it's apparently been long enough since we've seen each other that I barely recognized you on Main Street the other day. And I apologize <laughs> for that. <laughs> Only took me eighteen tips to my cat. I was uh, uh, I was on a patio with my family having lunch, of and course I are. see a guy in a baseball hat and sunglasses walking towards us and tipping his hat at me. I was like, "What's this guy doing? What's going on here?" And then he got closer, and it turned out to be. <laughs> It turned out to be Wait, Drance. Drance, he thought you were a panhandler that was going to tip your cap all the way to ask for some change. I, I mean, summer, some me in summer mode. It's uh, it is unrecognizable, right? Like uh, I'm just so relaxed. I'm so positive about everything. Yeah. In it's, my defense, uh, it, it makes sense. It was a new hat. It wasn't one I'd seen in your repertoire before. I think that's what threw me fair. off. If you've been uh, wearing a, one of your standard hats, I would have been like, oh, it's Drance. But I was True. very confused. And it's, and it's a snapback. It's the first snapback I've tried to wear in like eight years, but it actually fits me. So usually my head's too large, right? And I have that thing where I try to put a snapback on as opposed to a fitted because they're in, right? Like the, the the flat brim new era fitteds are kind of out of style. And yet when I, I have too large a melon and when I put on uh, one of these, like it, it usually the snapback part like drifts well behind the hat. Yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing. So anyway, now I you know I think it was that I was wearing a different type of hat, and maybe Jamie that I've started listening to a new type of music. <laughs> you started listening to a new type of music? No, not really. It okay. just always okay. affects people's appearance. You oh, know? <laughs> okay, sure, whatever you say. Uh, all right, enough of that. Let's get into it. Uh, so we lots to talk about. You have a, an interesting piece up at the Athletic right now about various different types of expectations uh, mm-hmm. for the Canucks going into the year. I do want to get to that, but of course, as you know. Uh, the thing that most Canucks fans are talking about and focusing about this week, JT Miller, big podcast appearance on the Cam and Strick <laughs> podcast. Uh, w- takeaways, if any, from what JT Miller had to say for you, Drancer? Um, not a ton, you know. Honestly, I, I didn't think there was a, a ton to take away from it. JT Miller seems to do one big off-season podcast appearance every year. Uh, last year, of course, was with the John Scott podcast and talked about his contract ended up getting done. And and by the time he'd sort of signed it and appeared with Vancouver media, everyone was just asking him questions off of what he'd said. Um, You know, I know he talked about the media a a little bit and, you know, I didn't really have a strong sense in listening to it. uh, Like who he was talking about, you know, I, I mean, the, the thing about, you know, they'll know, like they know I'm not going to suck up to them. Uh, There's some of them I have no time for. It it was hard for me to tell if he was talking about local or national media, especially because so much of what he was talking about is annoying was the rumors 
that had dogged him for so long. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, JT Miller has done a really good job handling the media in his time in Vancouver. Like, this is a guy who's always available, uh, regularly quotable. I think he's accountable in his own way. And so, you know, I, I don't think any media members in Vancouver have any cause to reasonably complain about their dealings with JT. He's been pretty easy to work with. And, you know, he's, he's done the job like a pro should. So um, I, I didn't have a ton of takeaways. I didn't have a ton of takeaways from the media side. I know the fans just love, like, everyone gets so excited, especially Rick Dollywell, when someone takes a shot at Vancouver media. But I, I couldn't even tell if he was talking about Vancouver media or national media in the context of Vancouver. So, so it goes. Yeah, he did mention kind of there's national guys as well. He, so he was kind of, I think, felt like he was talking in both worlds a little bit. But um, right. one thing he did mention, though, was the last two years. A, yep. a lot of noise in this market, and we've covered it, of course. But, you know, it, it does, when we start looking forward to next season, it does stress how important it is to have a quiet season in Vancouver. How a yeah. good start is so vitally important in a city that has had so much noise. And it's all started from terrible starts to the eardrums. Yeah, that's been a big part of it. But I do think it goes beyond that. Like, I do think so much of it's been self-inflicted because of the way that this organization has conducted itself, conducted business, um, moved support staff in and out, the, the contract lengths that they've signed coaches and managers to, the incentives at play and how those have been managed from on high at the ownership level uh, have left a lot to be desired. I think that's created tension. I think that's created dysfunction. And, and I think last season in particular uh, was, you know, just constant. Like it was a constant thing from training camp on, you know, you had the injuries, but you also had the locker room renovation overruns. You had a, a new medical staff that ended up being pretty roundly criticized uh, by Canucks players. Even, um, you know, you had just an absolute mess of a situation involving Bruce Boudreau, right? Like a really unbecoming last week of his tenure. I mean, regardless of whether or not he had to go. And I don't think you're, ever sort of out of line to fire a head coach when you're 27th in point percentage in the NHL. Um, the way it went down was so weird. And uh, the organization's reaction to it, you know, particularly Jim Rutherford having not spoken to this fan base directly in six months now since the press conference to introduce Rick Tockett, um, you know, it, like belied a lack of accountability, a, a substandard approach from a professionalism standpoint. And for me, in writing this article, one thing I really wanted to stress was, you know, you can't have another year like that. You know, I mean, what's the appeal of, of a Jim Rutherford-led front office, right? Like, it's the credibility that comes with a, a Hockey Hall of Famer, a three-time Stanley Cup winner. And that credibility was tested. Uh, you know, I don't think we saw it at all last season. I think this organization needs to show us that they can conduct themselves, um, you know, at a, at a level that will begin to rebuild some of the reputational damage that I think last season did for this brand. Uh, the last two seasons have done for this brand. The last three seasons yeah. have done for this brand. Last decade, right? But, but really getting the basics, right? Um, having a season in which injuries are dealt with promptly right um access media stuff isn't a constant fight having the you know just behaving like a professional nhl organization i think would go a long way toward at least 
Like, it's, it's non-negotiable. They have to be able to do that next year if we're going to be talking about an organization that's beginning to move in the right direction. Yeah, and I think the the most interesting quote for me from J.T. Miller was when he was asked about the transition from Boudreaux to Talkett, and he kind of extended it even back farther to the transition from Green to Boudreaux. And as you said, you can easily extend it back right. to the North Division season. And the sense I got from J.T. Miller, I think the most illuminating thing was just how wearing that is for players and that's and you know he wasn't making excuses but he was just being honest about yeah it's a lot it's been a lot and you know I was making the point yesterday yes playoffs are important but just have a stable season right regain that sense right. of of uh of normalness and stability and quietness and I will say some listeners were kind of pushing back saying can you have a quiet season if you miss the playoffs like can you separate the two or will the frustrations on the ice overwhelm what you're trying to do off the ice what do you think of that does it do the two go hand in hand or can you have that kind of normal quiet focused season and still come up short of the playoffs at the end I think absolutely you can. I mean, look no further for me than the Buffalo Sabres, right? Like the Buffalo Sabres had a dream season for the Buffalo Sabres, right? Like that market, <laughs> that market had tuned out, right? I mean, they were, they were hosting home playoff dates in the sort of the honorary eighth Canadian market, right? Like a truly rabid hockey market uh, with like 7,000 people in the stands. And that was, you know, only 18 months ago. And then you have the season, you fall short, and everyone feels good about that team going into next season. Their barn will not be empty come October. There will be expectations. I mean, that's a good example for me of a non-playoff season that everyone can be really sort of happy with, proud of. Uh, point to is proof of concept is that the organization's moving in the right direction. So I think for me anyway, there are playoff seasons that could be marred by dysfunction and where the club's success could look a lot like it did during the Boudreaux bump uh, half season, right? Where if you were really paying attention and watching closely, you kind of knew that it was, you know, I, I often use the word ephem- ephemeral, but fraudulent, right? Like you just knew the results didn't match the way the team was playing and you knew it wasn't going to last. And, you know, for me, a playoff season like that is dangerous for this organization. Like to me, a playoff season that relies too heavily on Thatcher Demko in which the team's five on five form doesn't improve. Um, you know, and, and it's all reliant on like shooting luck with Elias Pettersson on the ice. That to me is dangerous because it may cause the club to think they're closer than they are <laughs> at a delicate stage of their sort of team building process. To me though, a season in which you miss the playoffs, but the five-on-five game improves appreciably, right? JT Miller looks years away from slowing down and credibly holds down a second-line center role, playing tough minutes and producing five-on-five. Philip Peronic plays at a top-pair level. You know, all the bets, the player personnel bets this hockey operations group has made look like they're paying off. Uh, You know, you could miss the playoffs, but still take a credible step forward. And, And more than anything, that credible step forward, I think, is what matters, right? Like, this organization has once again eschewed sort of more sustainable routes to team building in a hard cap league to try and get a little bit better in the short term. And I think we need to see that path look convincing. Like we need to be able to look at where this team's positioned in 10 months time and say that could work, right? This team has a path to meaningfully leveling up into a serious competitive team. That, to me, is far more important than, you know, 
whether you get 92 or 95 points and happen to happen to be, you know, in the playoff mix or not. Um, I'm sure the organization and especially the organization's bean counters would disagree, but in terms of how we analyze and evaluate the team, you know, my expectations are far more tied into whether this team takes a meaningful step forward and shows credible progress than, than they are tied into, you know, uh, what, what I consider to be a messy or an arbitrary bar in terms of are you a playoff team or not. Well, that long-term view also, when you look at it, it's, it's particularly important because the Pacific Division right now is strong, but it's not going to get any easier in the long term as Anaheim develops into, you know, with the high-end talent that they've got at a, a younger level right now. But, you know, you've got the high-end in the Pacific. So in order to really counter some of these, you know, elite teams or teams that could be elite in the future, um, you've got to take that long-term view. So, you know, I look at the Pacific this year, if you do have a good season and you miss out because you can't compete necessarily with some of those, you know, the, obviously the Vegas's of the world, the LA's, uh, Edmonton's going to be in that discussion. Um, are you at least making inroads long-term to be a 95-point team, 96-point team, maybe even beyond that, you know, year after year after year, right? Yeah, well, and a 95-point team year after year after year is a team that's probably not winning Stanley Cup. Right. I mean, you you better be winning a lot more than that. Like your aspirations better be 115 points, 110 points. You better be elite if you're going to win a Stanley Cup. I mean, look no further than Vegas, right, where, you know, they miss the playoffs and then win the cup. Right. It's not necessarily. And and you could point to that, perhaps, and say, like, oh, see, look, teams, fortunes vacillate wildly. But, you know, over the over the span of six years, that's been one of the great teams in hockey. And that's almost always the case. Right. If you go look at, um, you know, records over a large sample, like since the hard cap was uh, instituted in 2005, 2006, you know, like eight of of the top 10 teams by win percentage won the cup. Right. I mean, you want to win a cup, win a lot of games in the regular season, be great. And and I think this team needs to get there. Like that's where this team needs to get to. Uh, You're right to sort of look in the rearview mirror at Anaheim. Like, I think you're right to look in the rearview mirror at San Jose, right? Uh, you know, the Eric Carlson trade, um, you know, I, I don't know that they got as much as we'd like them or you'd like to see a team get when they're trading the reigning Norris Trophy winner. But they shed a lot of years. Like, they shed a lot of years and a lot of money in that deal. Um, you know, they're getting to a point with Burns and Carlson moved on. You still got Vlasic and Couture, but, you know, it's not the books. You don't open their cap-friendly page anymore and go like, oh, boy. <laughs> that team's years away. I mean, they still are, but they're, they're, they've at least got a pass here now. Um, Anaheim for sure does, uh, especially with all those young defenders coming. And then, you know, I, I don't know that LA is built to be a one and done. Like that looks like an intractable, um, imposing Pacific division opponent as do the uh, Seattle Kraken, frankly, right. Especially with the likes of uh, Beneers and Shane Wright uh, at the ages that those gentlemen are at. Uh, versus the ages that Pedersen and Hughes are at, for example, where we're only a few years out from when we'll look at Hughes and Pedersen and start to say, like, hey, next season, the probability begins to sort of weigh on the side of they might not be as good as next year, right? I mean, to this point, every year it's been like, and we have no idea how good Pedersen and Hughes are going to be. But, you know, by the time you get these guys into their late 20s, which is only a couple years out, uh, that logic changes. That logic flips. So this is a vital season for this team. I think they need to look really good. I, I don't think it's 
uh, about the playoffs for me anyway. I think the playoffs are sort of the thing we always talk about, the incandescent sort of bar by which all teams are judged. And yet, truly, I think the progress that this team needs to make goes well beyond it. it it's about how it's run. It's about how credible this team looks in, in terms of their ability to level up and be a serious contender, not a 96 point team, but a 106 point team in the next couple of years. Um, you know, it, it's about how this sort of management group, um, their prospects develop. Like to me anyway, this is a really vital season for the Rutherford Alvin management group in particular to sort of show us that this plan's working, you know, like we, we shouldn't be, debating it 10 months from now it needs to be apparent otherwise I don't think it's been a good season and obviously any any process that involves this version of the Canucks you know doing that leveling up process is going to involve Elias Pettersson in a major role and that means signing him to an extension at some point you know Obviously not a lot of news around that right now. I don't think there's any reason to expect that something gets done before training camp. Does the Sebastian Ajo extension change the landscape at all, or significantly at least in your eyes, Trance? No, I think it sets a floor, yeah. right? Like it sets a floor. Pedersen's production is so much better. And, and granted, some of that system's space, like I don't think there's a lot of miles in terms of the caliber of contribution from Sebastian Ajo to Elias Pettersson, because I think we're in both cases, we're talking about top five or top six centermen in the NHL, young, defensively reliable, dynamic offensively. Uh, Pettersson has produced more though. And, and I'd expect that to be reflected in a serious way uh, in his next contract. So for me, anyway, the Ajo deal more than anything, it's just like, well, you're not getting him done cheaper than that. And that's sort of all that it, all that it really means uh, I think it's a favorable comp, by the way, from a Canucks perspective. Like, I think Carolina has a home run deal with that Aho contract, and and I think that's a favorable comp from the Canucks side, right? Like, if if that's your floor mm. and helps you sort of pin uh, a Pedersen comp a, a little bit, you know, well like below ten million. Granted, there are differences in terms of how competitive Carolina is year over year. Granted, there are differences in taxation. Uh, between jurisdictions uh, in North Carolina and, and British Columbia. Um, but, you know, that's a that's a useful comp, I think, from the Canucks side. When when Alho signed for less than 10 with Carolina, you know, I, I think that was good news for the Canucks. Um, so to me, anyway, it doesn't really change anything beyond sort of just hammering out what the minimum we can expect Pedersen to make on his third deal is. And look, it can still come in a lot higher than that. And the longer this goes, right, the more you sort of expect it to be a little bit higher, right? Because as you get closer to unrestricted free agency, as we all know, uh, and, and, you know, before training camp, to me, that's not a material deadline, right? But when this contract expires and as you get into next summer and, you know, arbitration and the qualifying offer deadline and on and on, like then you get to a point where leverage really swings, I think. Um, you know, as a player gets closer to unrestricted free agency, their leverage tends to be enhanced. So getting a deal done as early as possible, I think, would be good for the organization, obviously. But I don't I don't think before training camp is is like a meaningful deadline or something we should be like watching and worrying. Uh, I think the expiry of Pedersen's contract, however, you know, on July 1st, 2024, that to me is a, is a deadline worth sort of monitoring 
And if he's not extended before the expiry of his deal, then, you know, I, I think it's fair for our, our antenna to go up. Um, you know, not, not for us to get worried, but for us to certainly begin monitoring it with an, a more urgent level of interest. Drance, appreciate it, man. Good to catch up. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, buddy. Thanks for having me, boys. Be well. That is Thomas Drance covering the team uh, at The Athletic. And, of course, right here on Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650 as well. And let's see if you uh, recognize him when he walks in the studio. Forget the street. <laughs> Will you acknowledge his presence in studio? I was so confused. I was – I. he was wearing a Blue Jays hat. And so I was thought – I was that, like, that was a problem. Well, I was like, am I wearing a Blue Jays hat? And this guy is, like, acknowledging a fellow Blue Jays fan. But I was like, I'm not even wearing a hat. So what's going on? <laughs> What's going on I can here? imagine look on your face. Uh, Jamie is a very nice human being. You're one of the nicest people I know. Legit. Uh-huh. However, there's a certain like role that you play in Mr. Mount Pleasant. I, I remember <laughs> when one of your daughters, I believe it was your, your eldest daughter, when she was still in yes. a stroller, yep. I was driving to the station one day, and I think you were... I think you were off at that, that day. Know. or maybe, I, I don't know what... I don't even know, remember what show you were working on, but... There's Jamie walking up Main Street with the Serpico leather jacket on, <laughs> pushing the stroller with the meanest mug I've seen probably in Vancouver. Like, there was a swagger and attitude. So, hey, you man. You just got to keep up appearances in public. That's it, right. When yeah. you hit Main Street and when you're wearing that Serpico jacket, you're a different dude. Main Street Jamie's different than <laughs> Studio Jamie. He's Mount Pleasant man. <laughs> yeah, you got to look tough. Got to look tough out mean, there. Main Street's a Main Street. Mean streets, not so much anymore. That was actually like twelfth in Maine. So you were like walking across that bingo hall, I think. Yeah, and just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You right had a chip there. on your shoulder, that's, my friend. That's my hood, man. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.